Along with Paul Benzman, this is New Radio Media's Talking Biz on a beautiful, cool 37-degree day. I'm back. Yes, you are. You know, you skipped I'm out back. last week, um, Halloween weekend. And, and, you know, we had a great time in the studio talking about Halloween and favorite, favorite candies. And what was What is your favorite candy? I didn't know that. Well, I, I, was, you I know, was busy last week. I couldn't watch the show. I enjoy a lot of different ones. I mean, I like Mr. Goodbar. Um, I like the Baby Ruths, you know, the standards. Kit Kat. I am not a coconut fan of anything. Kit Kat. Kit Kat is uh, Carrie's favorite. Okay. Um, and uh, Ethan was in the studio. He really never gave us an identity to his candy at all. Really? Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't? Ooh, one more commercial from Paul Benzman, ladies and gentlemen, oh, my dear co host. Mounds don't, but you, you know, don't like coconut. That's you the know, thing. But uh, we talked about a whole bunch of you know Halloween. And I got to tell you, yeah. Halloween. Um, where we spent uh, this year, Ethan uh, handed out candy at our house, mm-hmm. and we went to another neighborhood where dear friends of ours were um, doing Halloween on the driveway. We had the fire pit, but they were making cotton candy. Really, we had we had a neighbor that candy. did that years ago and in Southfield. Over, we figured almost three hundred people came up the driveway for cotton candy, get a little warmth of the fire. Um, it was wild. It just it was amazing, and then. Uh, you know, as you know, we have this uh, residence we're trying to build across the street from this yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. So we saw some people going up on the lawn, and I said, excuse me, um, there's nobody there. We're all over here sharing Halloween. She says, oh, no, we just want to use the port john Ah. <laughs> Number one venue on our property. First of all, you should have charged for it. You well, we said pay the attendant inside. Yeah, I, yeah. I told them, just pay the attendant inside. The old port john Very cool. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I'm so glad did you to have be an, back. Did you have a nice time off? You know, uh, worked. You know, but, uh, worked. As a matter of fact, I I did sneak in and out of the office and the studios. Real that's quick. what I, I understood. I, they saw me and they said, the ball was here. Ball's gone. Ball's gone. Just working. We've got a lot. Are, of, are you got, like the shadow? Yeah, only the shadow knows. Thank you, the old old shadow. You know, yeah. part of the Morgan Campbell Trendle Group way back when. I remember that. I did. I used or, to work for them at one time. We had the Lone Ranger. We had Green Hornet, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. Of course, the shadow. Some great stuff down at the old Maccabees building, but I, I knew them later on when they bought WPON Radio. Hey, very cool. Hey, I want to get to the birthdays early today for a reason. Let me Happy tell you why. Happy birthday. We have a, a gentleman who works here who's a gentleman, great guy. Cole Seeger turns 26 today. Happy birthday, Cole. Another man in broadcasting, Frank Beckman, turns 69 uh, I remember today. when Frank and I worked together at WPON. Yeah. Kevin Japaya, good guy, commercial real estate agent's birthday today. Freddie Cohn, who used to bowl in our Benet Brith League. All yep. right. Freddie's uh, 63 today. Bobby Friedman, my old fraternity brother, turns 58 today. You were in a fraternity? Yeah, Sigma Alpha Mu, the old Sammies. Wow. All right, that Flavio Pasquale today. Wait a minute, that got kicked off campus. Yeah, uh, what, which one? You know, Wayne State. <laughs> we didn't get kicked out, we just folded. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute because I want to bring up some other stuff. Julie Appleplotnik, it's her birthday, and I want to wish all my Facebook friends a happy birthday. And, and I want to wish my, my dear friends yeah. who, who played in the Magnificent Seven and Dirty Dozen. Yeah. Charles Bronson. How is Charles? Passed away. Yeah, I know. Missed uh, a funeral. How about uh, Colin Kaepernick? Remember uh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Uh, NFL yeah. quarterback? Yep, yep. Okay, and Kendall Jenner, model, reality, television star. Wow. So, wow. big day in history, November 3rd. You ready? November 3rd what? In Detroit. Yep. This was a ribbon-cutting ceremony okay. in 1930. Major, major ribbon-cutting ceremony. 1930. It was the Hudson's Building. No, it was the Detroit-Windsor Tunnel. Oh. 
Yeah. How about that? You know, yeah. at 12.05 a.m. You know what, on this you know day. What, you know what never happened that day? Oh, this ought to be real good. A 1932 model car did not drive through. Didn't drive through. No, it did not. As a matter of fact, it did not at all. The United States and Canada officially opened the car, the tunnel to car traffic. And Mayor Frederick Jackson had bragged at the tunnel. Elaborate dedication ceremony two days before the structure, the only international tunnel. It was uh, quite the thing at the, the time. The first? Yeah. The first international tunnel, folks. We heard it here first on New Radio yeah. Media. Now, you know we have uh, Frank Murphy Hall of Justice. Yes. Frank Murphy was actually the mayor of Detroit at the time of the ribbon-cutting ceremony. Very nice. So, I, yeah. I can sleep tonight now that I know this stuff. Now we go to a little bit of sadness. <laughs> what happened? 1941. Yeah. This was the day that the Japanese had given the order to prepare to bomb Pearl Harbor. You know, Peter, it's, it's it, back in the... Um, Late 80s, 87, I took a trip to Hawaii and uh, visited Pearl Harbor. And it was interesting that there were still, like, oil slicks coming up or around the area. From Arizona. Yeah, it's it's sort of really eerie how you well, sit there on the memorial and, and you see this stuff. There. And, um, you know, it, it was a big day in history that we thought we were invincible and, and we got sneaked attacked on. Well, it was a very, you know, it's a very interesting thing going to Hawaii. Uh, I had meetings at Pearl Harbor, of course, and Hickam Field. Uh, courtesy of another uh, one of my little lifestyles. And um, we watch people go out on the launch to the Arizona. And first they go in, they see the film, a little bit of history, they take the launch. But it's interesting to study people when they come back. Yeah. How there is a jubilation to go and a great reserve when they return. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um it's interesting. I, I loved Hawaii because it felt tropical, and it's still the United States. But when you take that trip to Pearl Harbor, um, you really realize that the freedom we have here and, and people that lost their lives for our freedom, uh, it's amazing. And, and I'll tell you, over the last 10 years or so, maybe a little longer, every time I see someone in uniform, I go out of my way to thank them for service. Well, we've taught you know. Ethan that. And even in restaurants, we have picked up their taps. Yeah, I, I've done that. Um it, and it really is interesting because that little smile you get, you know, uh, last week with the uh, synagogue shooting and well, stuff. We're going to get to that. But I want to talk about not just that, but no, we'll but just we talk about we're the gonna, United gonna, States. Gonna, I want to talk about something. The United States. Okay. I well, talk I've got about, one here, 1948. Okay. So so let me. Dewey wins. Dewey, Dewey okay. wins. Okay, anyways. Chicago to Tribune the Peter Show. Okay. Ju- ju- <laughs> the okay. Chicago Tribune. Okay. Yeah, let's go ahead. You have your headlines? Yeah, go ahead. Dewey wins. Okay. Who did he win? We won. Who did he beat? I don't remember. Harry. Okay. Harry Truman. Okay. All right. Got the it. United States. All right. Nope, nope. It's okay. Oh, no, Listen I'm... to you and your trivial facts. Oh, no, no, it's okay. No, no, I'm, no. I'm just a pee in the room. It's okay. I well, you, you went away on I, me. I'm going to go. You left I, me. I might as well be out of the room, you know. You, you, you come back. I get did cut I off. I'll tell you. Tony's sitting there, sitting there saying, what is with you guys? I, you know, I love you. Anyways, let me go about what happened. Yeah, go ahead. So, you know what? Last Saturday night, I, I got, I worked, you know, I worked seven days a week, and you do this. And I got to bed really early, and I was in a real funk. I, I was looking at um, what's going on in our country. And, you know, if you look at these things, and, and I'm going to praise this or say this in advance, this is not a political message. And, and I always wanted. I have to. I hate that I have to start with conversations that let's keep politics out of this. It, let's let make it a political situation. And I was sitting in bed and thinking about the bombs that were sent in the mail, and what happened to the synagogue, which I know we're going to talk. But 
you look at people and you look at what's going on in life and, and the lack of respect for life today and, and what's going on in the world. And it was really sad to sit there and, you know, you turn on TV and it's like you switch channels and you don't want to watch certain things. Because I don't think anyone in the United States is shocked anymore. It used to turn on the morning news and if you heard that a school got attacked, it was something new. But every day you turn the news on and nothing shocks me anymore. Right. Nothing shocks me anymore. It's sad to say that you turn on the news and whether it was a synagogue or a church down south or whether it was a bomb or whether it was this, I, I, I think people are so cold today that nothing shocks them. And you got a lot of people. And what really bothered me was last week a friend of ours who has a business, and, and they had a young festival, and they tra- treated 18 patients. 15 and 18 had one thing. What was it? What was their problem? Okay. Well, you want us to answer this? Yeah, you answer. What, oh. What was uh, 15 out of the 18 were being treated for what? Depression. Anxiety. Right. Yeah. Anxiety. And so at 15 years of age, to have 15 out of 18 people being treated for anxiety in what should be a concert or an event where they're happy, they're treated for anxiety. 30 to 40% of the people, I shouldn't say, 70% of the people told me it was drugs. And it wasn't anything to do with drugs. No. It was anxiety. So if you look at the country where you have young people dealing with anxiety, yet alone older people dealing with anxiety, we have a ticking time bomb here. And I don't want to sound so brash and so so important, but, you know, I, I made a suggestion I want people to do. One, we need more money for mental health. That people need access to mental health, and, and if someone's got a problem, someone to talk to. On the other side, people reach out to their friends on Facebook when most of those people aren't their friends and give stupid advice and things happen. So I'm not knocking Facebook. But we need more mental health out there. The other thing is, how do we become a friendlier society. And I pushed this before that you should make a stranger smile today. You should go out and treat someone nice and and start trusting in people. We have no trust in this country. No trust. And there's a lot of people that are very nervous and anxious. That's me on my post today. I just, I, I had to speak about this because it's bothering me. It's bothering a lot of people. And folks, hey, you and I say, Peter, we respect the office of president, right? You got it. Okay? And we do that. Through the Constitution. That's right. And at the end of the day, folks, I hate the conversation when someone says, who did you vote for? And I said, that's a personal thing. I vote for the right candidate. And so the political divide, every other divide in this country, hey, we got to mend, folks. And let's start working on it. Well, I'm glad you brought it all up. Um, Two things are happening right now in Pittsburgh. Number one... um, before services last night in Pittsburgh, the police taped off the area. And there, the congregates came, the congregates did a service. But more importantly, even here in Detroit, and then we'll go on to back to Pittsburgh, uh, a number of the uh, religious areas, synagogues and churches, came together for Pittsburgh. And even at Temple Israel last night, having political people there, uh, the pulpit, the rabbis, the cantors, um, did a service for healing, and I think that was the most important piece. It's the healing process. And if you would like to, Paul, I want you to look up on our screen uh, for a minute. We're going to put uh, the first uh, little headline up there for us. And, uh, Kelsey, if you could be kind enough. 
It should show up. Okay, so good. While that's happening, um, and maybe our viewers are watching it right now, it's the headlines from the Pittsburgh uh, Gazette. And it's in Hebrew. And it's what we call the Mourner's Kaddish. It's the first five words of the Mourner's Kaddish. Yiskadal, Yiskadash, Shemei Rabbah. And in Jewish, uh, in Jewish history, we never praise the dead. We talk about the living, that life is very strong and goes forward. Right. And um, in Pittsburgh also, the Pittsburgh, Pe- Pittsburgh Penguins, um, on their jerseys, put the Star of David. And with the logo of the penguin, and it says, uh, for some, Kelsey, can you read us that uh, logo or Ethan in the other room? Can, uh, oh, wait a minute, hold on, here we go. Uh, she was telling me it says stronger than hate. Sorry, stronger we're having a little hard hate. time. Oh, that's right, stronger there. than hate. And um, that is a very fascinating and very impactful piece that uh, is being shared throughout the community in Pittsburgh, and it's now being shared around the country and around the world. So it just says that no one person will ever allow the hatred to go beyond a certain point. There will always be hatred, don't get me wrong, and there will always be challenges in the world. But what's so unique about the communities that we live in here in Detroit and communities all around the world, they come together, they allow this horrible hatred that took place to be resolved, to be in partnership for coming together for the love of a community, for the strength of the community that is so necessary. You know, there was a young lady that uh, stood up and spoke. She was a high school student from North Farmington. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, Saturday I went to synagogue to see my friends, to share quality time. And she kept repeating, Saturday I went to synagogue, Saturday I went to synagogue. And this happened, and I felt good when we services were over. And then this Saturday my life was shattered. A couple of a year ago, she did the same thing regarding the shooting in Parkland. Yeah. Same young lady from North Farmington, a very wonderful young lady. And it was just the congregation listened. And you could drop a pin and understand that the youth today are so challenged by the horrors of the adults. And that's what I said, the, the, the 15 of the 18 in anxiety. You know, people ask me all the time, would you like to be a kid again? And I answer right away, hell no. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's different. Um, they're learning a lot of things we don't know, how to relax, how to take it easy. But at the end of the day, it's tough out there. It's a very challenging yeah. world out there. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, I used I go to the United Nations all the time. For those of you uh, that are just joining us at New Radio Media for the first time, and uh, I deal with the human rights commissions all the time. And it's very interesting. You know, human rights. Uh, the favorite line I always use is, "Human. It's the right to be a human, meaning going to bed at night safe and waking up in the morning safe, and knowing that your environment is always safe." And the world isn't that way today. And it makes it very challenging because everybody says the enemy is outside the boundaries of the United States. No, it's not. And that's the misnomer. It's not. It's right here. I remember the Oklahoma City bomber where yes. everyone expected it's a terrorist. And it was one of our own. Yes, it was. And, and so some of the largest tragedies are homegrown people and people living here with, with mostly mental issues. So we've got to work on that. But meanwhile, it was a 
somber week. Mm-hmm. Um, last well, Saturday, we did that. So you want to you want something new and exciting? Well, I want to do something here. We we didn't introduce who's going to come on at nine o'clock. So nine I o'clock. Who's coming sure, at nine love o'clock to hour. hear. I love to have a positive. So guest. we have two wonderful people from the Greater Detroit Area Health Council. We've got Dr. Stephen Grant and Kate Cohn Parrot coming on. Amazing people. I've been with Kate a lot, and uh, I met Stephen Grant a couple weeks ago. Stephen's also got great great relationships and has evolved with the Detroit Holocaust Museum. But we won't discuss that with him today. But a lot going on with the Greater Detroit Area Health Council, a very great group. Uh, we'll learn more about it. And both of them, Kate, has a great history of numbers and worked for some major corporations and is an amazing woman. So I'm excited to have them on here at the 9 o'clock hour. We're great. And uh, we're getting a lot of inquiries for people who want to be on our show. Um, it's amazing. We've got Why? another group. Why? Because they like me. Oh, I, I just kind of okay. wondered. I mean, because, I just I was because, been waiting to hear. Because they like me. Let's hear all I, about I, Bob. I got a thing There was here. a movie all about Bob. Yeah, Bob yeah. is my cousin. So this is all about Paul. So, so in less than 30 so seconds, gonna, I want to hear all like, about wait, Paul. Well, I'm going to say something. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to say something. You know, it's funny. You, you brought something up. I'll, I'll tell you a little later. It's, You're going to tell me in a, in a minute because it's, I'm going to catch you It's hilarious. We're going to catch up on some stuff because I missed you last week. We have so much to catch up. I was here. But I wasn't, I, so I missed you. Well, we didn't miss you. <laughs> you know? Hey, hey, if, 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 if you'd like staffer. to be my new partner on Talking Biz, send uh, us a line at info newradiomedia.com. Wonderful staff. Info here. at newradiomedia.com. You can be my new wonderful partner because my partner's going to come back Tony. and I'm getting slammed like crazy. Hey, Tony, we should run my couple little bit. Here you go. Here you go. I got them all, right, but here's you, the deal. you know something? What? Talk to me. In less than 12 seconds, I just want to let everybody know they're listening to Talking Biz. This is New Radio Media with Paul Benzman and Peter Perlman. Not for long. Yep, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geektainment Weekly at New Radio Media. It's more the time. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Central Sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. (laughs) I take my axe and I smash it. No! (laughs) And check out PodQuesters. The show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Anyways, PodQuesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Wow, we're back. How about that PodQuesters? I'm going to tell you about PodQuesters. It's it's a freaking hit. 
It sure is. Yeah, and they get up to 20,000, 25,000 people listening every month. It's, you know, it's growing it's, like and, crazy. You know, it's growing like they, weeds. Now, we sent the crew down to Cincinnati. We sent them to Chicago. Yeah. We, of course, we sent them to Detroit. That's easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I want to ask a question. This is a very serious question. Oh, no. You, you got your American Express bill from the trips. I did. Okay. How did you know? <laughs> I wanted to understand who takes an Uber to Cincinnati. Well, it's funny. Um, I'm not laughing. It, 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 it was, and there were six people in the Uber, and it's a VW. They, they travel light. I guess they do. <laughs> they, they travel I tell light. You, I tell you, they and I love light. the tra- I mean, A little bug. A little bug. Yeah. Is that like how many people did we put in a phone booth at one time? Yeah. Do you remember those days? Oh, yeah. They squeezed them in the phone booth. <laughs> They're asking, yeah. what is a phone booth? Yeah. A phone booth is where a phone was, folks. It and was we had coins. Room. You put them actually in, and you heard ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And then you got to dial and go, hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul, are you there, Paul? You're showing your age. No, my age is, in my other house, I have a crank telephone still. Yeah, that's right. You know, do, 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 do. You no, crank you have, it up. You have a, hey, what are those things? The ticker is, taker. Not is, the ticker taker, the uh, Morse code. Morse thing. code. Yeah. yeah. Morse code. You have a key. Yeah. You have the key. Da, 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 da. You know, the interesting, da, 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 i got to tell you a funny da, 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 story. Da. Funny story about that. Okay. You know, in the old days, there was a guy in an iron lung, mm-hmm. and he filed for Social Security. So the guy from Social Security shows up at the hospital. There's the wife. And she says, I'm so sorry she fret in this, you know, cylinder. Mm-hmm. Back then, that's how you got your oxygen and everything. He says, but we have to decide whether he is capable of getting Social Security or he can still work. And she says, he's in a tank. What can he do? He says, Fred, why don't you answer some questions for me? If I, if you believe the answer is yes, tap once. If you believe it's not, tap twice. And there were like three or four or five questions. This went on for a little bit. And then uh, the wife says, you see, he can't do anything. She says, you're wrong. I'm denying the claim. He can be a telegraph key operator. Okay, hey. here we go. Anyways, anyways, I want to talk about a little business real quick here. Oh, you don't want to know so, my other things. I want to talk about the automotive world first. Oh, I'm glad there. you brought okay. that up. So I'm we're going to talk about the automotive world. Uh, our friends at uh, Tesla, our friend Elon. No, that's your friend. Not okay, my, that's uh, your Elon friend. and you uh, and Elon, Elon do coffee. Elon opened up his mouth this week. And yes, said, he hey, did. The mouth of they, they made their first profit, and he says during the next downturn, he sees Ford going bye bye. Not a great call from Elon. I was actually with a Ford engineer the other night. Yep. And a gentleman who does their engines. And he said, listen, and we talked about the transformation of uh, getting rid of the passenger cars to more SUVs. He said, Paul, wait a second. There's still passenger vehicles. The shapes are just changing. That's they all. might ride a little the frames, higher. The frames are different. They might the do frames this. Are the well, same. some of the frames are the same. Yeah. And we talked about it. But Ford Motor Company's making profits. Uh, GM's making profits. But... A little sign that I didn't like to see this week from uh, General Motors and Ford, the buyouts of more executives. Um, it was probably something that should have gone when they readjusted the companies years ago. I always said they're too high at the top level, and they're hiring now for autonomous and other kinds of vehicles. Correct. So they're bringing on other sides. New focus. They're still making their adjustments. So the automotive companies will be around. They will be strong. Elon, don't make those comments about Detroit companies. You and I are going to talk next week when we smoke pot on some show like you, but you'll be smoking on me. And Elon, I'm still a fan of him, okay? I'm a fan of him because he's futuristic, he's got vision, and he's got balls. So, you know, he is the entrepreneur. So here you go. You brought up Elon. Okay. You brought up automotive. Okay. Let's talk about how the brands fare to their average reliability score. Let's talk about reliability. All right. Number one vehicle. Go ahead. No. 
Do you know the number one vehicle? Reliable-wise? Yeah. Uh, first of all, Tesla was up there before. No, but it's no, not no, there anymore. Not at all. It was up there years ago. So today, uh, is today. it domestic or foreign? Foreign. Foreign. I'm going to say the most reliable vehicle foreign is going to be the um, Subaru. Lexus. Lexus, okay. Number two, Toyota. Mm -hmm. Okay. Three, Mazda, which okay. was a little shocking. Four, yeah. Subaru. Okay. Five, Kia. Yeah. Infinity, six, Audi, seven, BMW, eight. The Mini, nine. And guess what's ten? A U.S. company. Porsche. Uh, ten is uh, Hyundai. So there's no U.S. companies. No. All right, so we're following the back. Shows about, the U.S. shows up at number 18 with Ford, 19 Buick, 20 Lincoln. Wow, we're losing so, I'm surprised. I had Kelsey telling me this whole time, probably Honda, and I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. But. Take a look. Yeah, it's amazing. So let's talk gonna... about it a little bit more. Talk. Cadillac thought going to New York would be the best thing since last year. Oh, bread. no, they're back in Warren, and I said that. You know what? They're back downtown, too. I, I, I just, but their advertising's in Warren, and I just had a talk with a GM gentleman last night at Jay Alexander's as I was having my Bloody Mary. <laughs> you notice, folks, and, and so, the drop-in of the beverage. Well, let me tell you something. I, I am now asked every day where my we Bloody know, Mary. I took know. a survey last night. I have I a have gentleman today's. in this... Uh, Little congregation behind us yeah. that tracks you. Yes, a lot of people do. So we're talking to a gentleman. He wants an ankle bracelet put on you, too. There you go. I was talking to this gentleman who works uh, for transmissions in GM. And nice conversation. He says, I said, no. he says, what do you drive? I said, a Cadillac CT6. And he gave me a fist bump. I said, listen. Hey, what do you say, man? I got that. I, but I was very upset yes. because here's the deal. Yeah. Uh, when Cadillac moved to Soho in advertising and marketing, they did a commercial. It was all called the Slow Roll. Mm -hmm. They would show a Cadillac rolling through the towns of Soho. Right. Nothing about the car. Nope. So I am driving, and I just picked up another one, one of the finest vehicles I've ever driven. Now, I've had Porsches. I've had all kinds of foreign vehicles. But the CT6 is probably the most amazing car that General Motors ever built, and no one knows about it. They think it's a CTS. They think it's this. And I said to them, I want to do a commercial where it compares against, you know, guy walks by, you know, paper's really picking up loud on the mic here. So anyway, I'm doing that on so, purpose. So anyways, <laughs> guy walks by a Mercedes and said, drove it, right? Walks by a BMW, drove it, and he jumps in the CT6 and drives it and takes off. You have to do comparison stuff. And GM was not doing that. So no one knows what that car is. Shame on GM that no one knows the quality of the CT6. And, um, and by moving to Soho... Artsy's not always the best. No, not There's at all. There's no call for action. There's no what the vehicle is. Let's talk to drivers. Let's talk about, hey, how do you like, listen, I drove a, a good friend of ours drives a Mercedes 550. You know who I'm talking about. And he sat in my car. And he, he says, you know what? For a car that's half the price, I don't see the value in my Mercedes anymore. So that's the problem with Cadillac in their in their marketing of at least that. Well, Cadillac's going to stay a little bit in New York, though. I just want you to understand yeah. that at Cadillac House, yeah, yeah, you know, a little bit of a showroom type look, uh, touts its brand a little bit, you know, public space for events, things like that. That's all they're going to do at this point. Yep. But you know, the big issue, and we and you shared it a little bit earlier. General Motors, Ford has already done their big announcement. We haven't even heard from Fiat Chrysler yet on the transformation of the automotive industry uh -huh. going from um, self-driven vehicles to autonomous. And so the whole new cadre of employees coming on board will be so different from what we know today. Oh, they're even talking electric bicycles. They're talking about other Ford. Well, you know who talked about electric bicycles was Lee Iacocca. Yeah. And and, and he invested in I that. I know, I know. And, and when Mulally was here and uh, Mark Fields 
came on and and we talked about I was with a Ford guy the other day so and said that uh, you know Fields had a vision and it was tough to follow Alan Mulally. I mean, Alan was an amazing guy he came who from leveraged Boeing. everything, and he he leveraged everything, including the Blue Oval, and he didn't go bankrupt. So I respect for him with that. And Mark Field says, we are a transportation company from now on. We're not an automotive company. We're right. a transportation company. Now, the guy that they have running the helm right now, um, I'm not going to mention any names, but no names all required. the people I talked to at Ford recently are looking at this guy, and he doesn't get it. So I think the current guy running the company is going to be out in the next six months or less. Uh, he, he has a vision, but he keeps it in his head, and no one knows about the vision. Well, you so. know, the funny part is GM was a transportation company mm-hmm. uh, in more ways than most people ever realized. And it wasn't in the private passenger vehicles. It was in the buses and the trucks. Yeah. And I'm talking over-the-road tractor-trailer-type trucks. No, I get it. And um, – they later on made the partnership with Volvo and transferred it over to Volvo. And uh, Ford never really got into that aspect of mass transportation. And now they're looking at transportation from a whole different venue. So it's going to be interesting to see what really happens and their definition of transportation, you know, in, in totality, not in, you know, autonomous line by itself. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. So, you know, like I said, I, I believe Ford will be around uh, GM will be around. Chrysler is kicking butt with their trucks and Jeeps. Yes, they are. And and I have to hand that over to the late, great Mr. Marcioni, who, whacked back in the last union talks, decided that we're going to make trucks and Jeeps, and that's where profit is. And, and the profit, too, in the big trucks, most people don't realize. You know, Sterling Heights makes a truck, mm-hmm. okay, but Mexico makes a truck. Yep. And Mexico makes the heavy-duty truck. Yep. Um, there was a lot of uh, conversation about bringing it to the United States. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if your profitability line has to hold, because you have to pay stockholders, then that truck's going to stay in Mexico for right now. And they're talking about that right now, about it staying in Mexico because of stuff. General Motors also held off on modernization of a couple buildings this week. Right. Uh, at the Design Center in, in Warren. And in the Pontiac facility, they said we were going to put a billion dollars together between the two of them. That's on hold. Yes, it is. And so, so everybody's watching where it's going. Underlying facts of the numbers, I say, are where the economy is going to be in another year to 16 months. And more signs of that this week. Um, a lot of people looking at uh, interest rates going up now. Everyone's saying, hey, Fed's hold down on the interest rate growth because – People are getting squeezed, like I keep saying. They're getting squeezed on all their bills well, on flexible cards, rates. Credit cards. Credit are, cards. They're jumping. So, you know, I, I'm talking to people in the housing sector, all my residential real estate agents. Things have changed, and the agents feel, some of them feel it's for the better. Some feel it's for the worse because people are out there saying, hey, rates are rising, and we're going to have to be careful on our payments now. Well, you know, it's interesting in the uh, housing market, the number one housing market that's growing, tiny houses. Yep. They are getting hotter by the moment. Predicted that five years ago. And, uh, you know, downtown, the, the Detroit, down. if you're down in the Cass area, yep. you, you've got a couple of blocks now that are getting the tiny houses, but not the tiny houses that are on wheels, folks. This actually is, has they a foundation. A foundation. Yep, tiny bubbles, real, tiny houses. That's right. They've got a foundation and everything. So, you know, it, all of that is like, you know, a great transition. You know, when we come back in a f- few seconds here um, – some more things I want to talk about, though, be, uh, before we have our great guest of uh, Dr. Grant, of course, 
And that'll be Amazon's goal, teaching 10 million kids a year to code. And we'll, we're going to talk about that, but you know, right now, dot I've dash, got to read dash, some more dot, of my notes, dot so dash, dash, dot, I'll dot, dot dash you in two minutes. All righty. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999 for more information. I'm Jackie Callis, Dr. Mark Berkowitz. We all accumulate so many products. They probably dry it yeah. out if I open the jars. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. But I don't eat the yolks. That's the, not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! Nice. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back here. We are. You All know, right. we've been to doom and gloom already this morning. We've yeah. been to, you know, watch your uh, credit cards very carefully, folks. So because if you're not paying any attention, the interest rates are peaking upward. They are. Home uh, rents, the homes, mortgage rates are going up. Well, not that stuff. Mortgage rates, but even the credit card rates, you see, are ticking yep. up. And people don't yeah. even realize that. The credit card debt is growing at a rapid rate. It is a maxed rate right now. And people buying products and services on charge are going crazy. So, uh, it's been seven years since the last recession. Bankruptcies can go happen. So here's my question for you. Yep. Is it make it or break it time for the key retailers this holiday season? And I'm talking about the following. Mm-hmm. Sears, Kmart, JCPenney, okay. and Neiman Marcus. So here's what's happening. Um, and I know you got some other stuff to talk about. Oh, we got a lot of time. The about. report came out this week about Christmas sales and where things are going. They're talking the Internet between 12 and 15% increase this Christmas. And traditional retailers in the 2 to 3% increase. So here's what's happening. Um just like a lot of things, there's a huge adjustment in the retail world, and it's been going on for several years. I remember 21 years ago when I entered in the commercial real estate and went to the first shopping center convention, they were shaking in their boots saying that the Internet business is unfair because of the sales tax situation. Mm-hmm. that's going to destroy it. Internet sales still only count for less than 10% of all retail sales in the world. 
though what's happening in the retail world is consolidation and the retailers that know how to do online and bricks and mortar well will get it. Now, you look at disruptions in the businesses. You're looking at new radio media, the digital world that is disrupting traditional media. And when you look at online shopping, it's disrupting the folks of bricks and mortar. But here's what also happens, and I repeated this probably a hundred times, consolidation. When Home Depot built three stores in the area, stores one, two, three, and two's in the middle of them, they only built number two to keep the competition out. So now they close store number two in the middle of one and three, and the other stores pick up sales because guess what? They were cannibalizing each other. Right. So they cut them down. The disappointing part, and retailers open your freaking ears again, is that you're doing one thing wrong. You're cutting inventories and cutting employees. You are giving people a reason not to come back. You are giving people a reason not to come back. Lord and Taylor, shame on you, and I'll keep blasting the crap out of you because you used to be my favorite men's shop. But when you go to Lord and Taylor 12 Oaks, you walk up to the store. Before you walk in, it says, shoplordandtaylor.com 24 hours. So you tell me, go back in my car and go shop Lord and Taylor now. But you got to try the clothes on. If they have them. Now we go in there. And I'm not the model five foot eight, ten skinny guy who wears slim cut shirts. Thank God we got a camera on you too. And does that because here's what happens. Now I go to where I used to buy all my dress shirts. I thought you bought the stuff in Napoleon's. So they go there. That was a great place. It was in Birmingham. And so at the end of the day, I go in to buy a dress shirt. I like some cool colors. I like the pinks. I like some different blues and all that stuff. And they don't have a Mr. Ben's. But let me go back. Now, first, got to find someone to help me. Yes. The whole tire floor where the men's department is, there might be five or six people on the whole floor. That's it. I know. So now i got to search down a person and say, by the way, oh, i got to go check in the back. No, the computer shows we have two, but we can't find them. We'll be glad to ship it out to you free. It'll be there in two, three days. I have a wedding tonight. I wanted a new shirt. I'm a single guy who shops when he needs to shop. I can tell you where to go, though. Okay, so so hear, hear me out. Highway. So hear me out. So now we have that. I went with my son to Lord & Taylor one day to look for jeans. The table was piled up like you thought it was the day of after Christmas, and it was a junky-looking store. So now they don't have my stuff. They don't have service. Why do I go there? Well, I was going to ask you that question yeah, because why you already go, knew what you were going to go why into. Why do I go there? So now let's go over to Nordstrom. Nordstrom, I have a small foot, seven and a half shoe. They used to carry everything in a bunch of models. Mr. Benzman, we have it online. We have it online. Great. Well, Zappos got my business now because they have the same shoe online for 50 bucks less. So do I go to Nordstrom anymore? So this is what's happening to the retailers that are not giving inventory and service. So let me ask you a different yeah. question now. We have in Michigan at least two solid, solid retail outlet locations. Yep. Okay? Mm-hmm. One in uh, Bridgeport, we'll call it that for simplicity, mm-hmm. on I-75. You have another one up in West Branch. Actually, you have three. You have another one in Howell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got three good, solid um, retail wholesale outlet, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. discount outlets. Yep. How do you believe they are doing in today's market? Not as well as they used to. Well, nobody's doing as well as they so, used to. So, but I'm here's go ahead. No, I'm just asking. I know what yesterday was like. Um, in today's world, have you been in any of those outlets like Horizon or the others 
and to see is there an inventory or is this a day where you and I have to go out and actually do the walkthrough again and see how Columbia is doing North Face Store, the Bass Store, the Black and Deckers of the world, all these places. I mean, the Levi Store. We've watched a lot of stores come and go in outlet malls, you know, like this. Um, and we've even seen some folded by Monroe. So, Well, and this is what happens. Um, these outlet shops are normally not, they have to be so many miles away from a regional area. Correct. So, so they don't affect their traditional retailers. So they're normally off a freeway. They're normally in a direction of normally, you know, probably 30 minutes from the local regional shopping area at least. And it becomes a people's lifestyle. So people make a day trip to the outlet mall. It's a it's destination an stop. It's okay. a destination shop, and it's part of their social life. And and well, let's go shopping. We are seeing some people coming back to retail stores because they're realizing that they don't want them to disappear. You know, they want that gratification. You know what? I'm going to go look. I want to touch and feel. And by the way, I want to look at 30 stores today, and I'm going to go into five. And I have in my head that I'm going to go get a great deal on some shoes. I need a couple shirts, and if I get the great deal, I'll buy them. So most people that go to outlet shops are buyers. They're not just lookers. They're buyers. But what's happening with those shops, and we can go further into this, is that a lot of these stores don't carry the same merchandise that the traditional retailers have. All right, so help us out here a little bit at New Radio Media for one minute. Mm -hmm. Um, I go into the Eddie Bauer or I go into the Ralph Lauren store. I'm Mm -hmm. taking brand names purposely. Okay. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What am I finding in there if I'm not finding – I'm finding the brand name. I mean, I'm finding the polo shirt with the little polo guy. Mm-hmm. Am I finding a second? I thought these were all first-run shirts. Sure just- they are, but here's what happens, Peter. The great world of importing, because nothing's made here anymore. When you go to the factory – Wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. Okay, something's made here. I get it, but let's go here. I found those stores, okay, okay. if you remember. You remember. So anyways – what happens is is that, one, they make up special styles and models. So they might have a coat or a jacket that is different than the one they'll see in the traditional stores. So they might be different colors and different designs, different material, lesser quality. Because here's what you do. You get what you pay for. So when I go to Costco mm-hmm. and I buy the Ralph Lauren shirt mm-hmm. for... Nineteen ninety-five, mm-hmm. and I go to the outlet store and I buy the Ralph Lauren shirt for twenty-nine ninety-five, mm-hmm. and then I go to the Macy's and I buy it for fifty-nine ninety-five. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying the same shirt. Ninety percent of the time, no. I just said ninety percent because sometimes you can find the same stuff. Because what happens is when they become at the at the warehouse, when they get down to let's say they they imported a hundred thousand of a model, mm-hmm. and there's only five hundred left. They need room in the warehouse. They'll take those 500 and okay. throw them to the outlet. So right. you have the overrun. Right. Now, we also stuff. talked about luggage at one time. You and I had oh, this great luggage, time about luggage, how the luggage yeah. game was played. It is, you know what? It's, it's crazy because you know, I've sold luggage in a lot of my retail outlets over the years. Right. So let's, yeah. let, let, let's hammer that for 30 seconds yeah. for everybody. Yeah. You know, because we, you know, people will say, well, you can get luggage. You can get the, the carry-on bag, the 24, the 28 Pullmans, you know, $99. Yep. Or two forty nine for a bag. Yeah, and some of it comes to quality. Let me tell you, you, you yeah, do I mean, look at quality. I I look at for some reason when I go up to Macy's upstairs, they have lunch and have my Maurice salad. Yes, you do. I walk by and my Bloody Mary. I walk <laughs> by. <laughs> I, I walk by the luggage department and I look at the quality of the bags they have there. 
And, and as I look at the bags, there's a lot of cool tricks in those bags. Though I've also been in factories in China. I've been, I've been in lighting factories. I've been in, in luggage factories. The, the best was when I was in the induction business, I went into an LED plant in, in Shenzhen, China. Right, I remember when you went. And I'm watching the line, and I'm watching them box light bulbs. Right. And one's GE. Correct. One's all, it's all, you know, whatever. It's a, the, the only box that was different was the, the label other, boxes. And the other one was, you want this box, we'll put your name on it. So all of them went through UL testing under one company. So they figure, well, we'll put the UL testing on this, which you can't do because you didn't pay for the UL certification. But at the end of the day, one line, 20 different companies. And so I don't pay. People got to realize that when you pay for a brand name, I would say that there's a lot of money in that pays for that marketing. And if you look at some stuff, you know, you're going to quality. Now, speaking of, and I want to bring up, you told about um, Neiman Marcus having Right, I issues. want to bring it up. And so Neiman Marcus has issues. Here's what a lot of people got to do. If you look at quality of clothing over the last 30, 40 years, same in the furniture industry, the quality has come down because the materials, people are demanding cheaper, 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 and cheaper. And the fact is, you get what you pay for, folks. So what's going to happen to um, – there were four stores that we looked at roughly. J.C. Penney. Penney. And the other one is the one that I did not bring up that you get a coupon – well, you're not a homeowner, but – Bed Bath on? Thank you. They're hurting. Well, I know they're hurting. They started hemorrhaging about three years ago. Uh, Are they back, hemorrhaging because they decided to go into the food business? You know, that's a great thing. They should have stayed out of there. You and I agree on that. Yes, and, we and, do. And the beauty supplies and all that stuff. Right. Should they have lost stayed their out core of there. business. They lose focus because here's what they do. The the boneheads at the corporate office says, we're not doing well here. What else can we bring in to sell? And they lose their focus. And that's that's bone brain. But let's go back to your, your 911 list. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. So Sears and Kmart out of business. Right. Gone. J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney's been up and down. They're in so much debt. They can't borrow anymore. They're going to have an issue. Uh, they're out of mall stores do better than the stores in the malls. Chapter 11 for J.C. Penney's and closing the mall stores and keeping the freestanding stores that compete with the Coles. Go ahead. Yeah, the, okay, then we said Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath & Beyond is going to consolidate. Profitable right. stores going to shrink their store footprints, mm-hmm. and they're going to go back to where they are. Competition with Bed Bath & Beyond is horrendous because small appliances – and stuff that they carry are easy shippable and easy to shop online. All right, we already talked about Neiman Marcus, so let's well, talk- Neiman Marcus. Let's talk about them a little more. Um, high end goods, uh, great Christmas catalog. Going to go have to market more digitally. Yes, that doesn't mean sell digitally, but market more digitally. And the answer to that is they've got to describe not price but quality of the goods and prove they have something unique that's going to last oh, but forever. But they've been downgraded twice now, so they're I know. It's getting very ugly. Yeah. So let's talk about a store that um, is in almost every corner in everybody's community today, and that's Kohl's. Yep. They're shrinking their footprint. Um, no, by far, they're shrinking their footprint by twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 square feet. Kohl's was smart to go into the neighborhood. It's become more of, I need a thing, let me stop at the corner. More of like a grocery store, I need a shirt, I need some shorts, I need this. Coles will consolidate, and I believe Coles will be in good shape. What about Burlington? Or- Burlington shrunk their footprint many years ago. They're opening at 14 and Orchard. The, the old stores used to be 80 to 100, 110,000 square feet. Their footprint's going to be between 50 and 60, 40 to 60 right now. All right. And what do you think the footprint of uh, new radio media is? 
Worldwide. Worldwide. And I worldwide. love it. See? Worldwide. I knew I would get that. You know, it's it's uh. it's funny because I'm glad you brought that up. How much time do we have to the next Oh, we're all you know? done. I, I got let, so let, much let, more. Let me I'll bring it back on the other side. Okay, but you know yeah, something? Yeah. When we come back in just a few minutes, because I've got to get some more coffee here, I want to talk about Amazon's goal to teach 10 million kids a year to code. Better now, than I don't know, than me. I, I don't know what to code means. To code? You got a code? You got a code? No, I know to code. To code. Yeah, I know to code. New radio media, to code. See you soon. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. Simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah? I'm your host. Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson, and are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? Op- I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. Well, welcome back to Talking Biz on NewRadioMedia.com on a Saturday morning in the Motor City. And I understand we have people in the green room. We do. We have some great guests coming on. we got Kate Cope Parrott and Stephen Grant, Dr. Stephen Grant. Some amazing people. we got a lot to talk about them. The Greater Detroit Area Health Council. Well, I look forward to having them in the studio at the, in the next hour. It's going to be great. But for the moment, oh, you want to I say w- something I else? I want to thank someone, okay? You want to thank someone? Yeah, Dennis Wagner. And what, do you Dennis, bring those bagels in? Now, I don't know if you brought the bagels in, but Dennis Wagner's an amazing gentlemen. Uh, Dennis joined us several months ago, and he's been involved in the medical field for a long time. As and, a patient? And, no, no, in, in marketing. But let me oh. tell you something. Dennis brought us some amazing people. And one I want to talk about a little bit is Holgistic in Royal Oak, because Dennis brought us Holgistic, and um, amazing. They had a great open house on Thursday, great natural medicine and all kinds of stuff, and they're working with traditional doctors, a great place. So, Dennis, thank you for that. Where are they and located? And also, they're on 11 Mile, East 11 Mile, about a quarter mile on the south side of the street. Go see Holgistic. It's a great place. They've got different things, more uh, herbs in. They've got a compounding pharmacy. They do uh, infusions. They do acupuncture, massage. But it works so great with traditional medicine. And today people are looking for all kinds of cures. Matter of fact, another gentleman Dennis brought is Dr. Stephen Plomeritis. He's an orthopedic surgeon on the east side. And he does shoulders and knees. Well, he was involved with stem cells for many years. And so he believes your own stem cells and healing 
But it's interesting, as talking to these doctors, and I love to learn, is that a lot of people are looking at procedures. And when they do procedures, patients want to know what are my recovery, how it is, and people want to know optimum recovery. So Dr. Plomeritis looks at things and says, you know what, Paul, I'm going to add IV infusions, whether to give vitamins and neutral, you know, give these people nutrition before their surgery. And he's a unique doctor. He works with a special physical therapist. A lot of people have shoulder surgery, and the doctor says, wait a week or two before you do physical therapy because they might pull your arm out. People are afraid of that. <laughs> They've got a physical therapist who takes you right from surgery. So between infusions before surgery and right vitamins, surgery and after, the healing time, and so the process is a little smoother and lasts a little, it does a little better. So there's a lot of people. I've got a couple friends that are on cancer right now, and they're getting chemo. They're also being recommended by their oncologist to go get infusions of vitamins and other stuff to also hydrate them. So it's very interesting where everything crosses over, and I love to learn like you do. You read a lot. Yes. And I read a lot. And you look at medicine today, and you look at the changes in medicine. I and, did. And it's amazing. Did. Yeah, you know, stop doing this collar thing. <laughs> you know, you can stop doing the Sam Bernstein commercials. I well, understand. you know, as you know, an actor, yeah. as an actor. <laughs> yeah, you play one on TV, right? <laughs> I play an accident, accident victim, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I haven't, yeah. and by the way, I yeah. am part of the union. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you do that. But you know what happens? So no, back I to am. this, no joking, yeah. is that you really look at people today, and, and a lot of people want to feel younger as they get older. Uh, they said the person who's going to live in their 120s has been born already. So you look at these things, and folks, your body parts wear out. You know, it's like you know, you, you get a car, you, you get that, your knees go, your thing go. You, they do. You just they do. And I think that you look at this, and I'm I'm fascinated at looking at people in the medical world and what's going on uh, with Kate's situation, amount of stuff she's done with groups, companies, and savings, and preparation, and how really to look at things. And people today, Peter, I just got my Blue Cross adjustment for next year, the rates. And, and people talk about insurance. And so my insurance, of course, went up a lot. I didn't get anything more for it. My deductible's high. So a lot of people look at, at insurance right now to look at Medic, Medicare or Medicaid or whatever you want to say, but all the insurance, but well, private Medicare insurance. Medicare is for over 65. Right. But let's look at my Blue Cross policy. So it went up. You have up. an individual policy. Yes, it went up. But here's the deal. Between paying the policy and a $6,000 deductible, I'll never hit it. Well, I'll come to it. my family, so, you'll knock it out in the first three months. Right, but I'll never hit it. So people are looking at alternative ways to insure themselves and look at that stuff. And and there's a lot of people looking at how to cut costs, how to show people how to get care. You know, I talked earlier about, you know, mental health and why that's disappearing. But it's a real interesting thing, and there's a lot of people upset. So let me ask you this. Yeah. When Dr. Grant comes in and Ms. Parrott comes in, what key question do you want to ask them? One key question. You know what? I, I've met them both. I've been with Kate a couple times. And it's it's really interesting. They have a lot of interesting things they'll talk about because what happens is we talk about a lot of people with prevention and alternative things and how to look at that. So you're going to get a lot of information from these two. Uh, amazing. So um, do you want to know my key question? What's your key question? What brought you to this area of practice that you're doing today? Why the change? As a you know, Dr. Grant, your orthopedics. Why today did you transfer yourself over and dedicated yourself okay, to this? Well, Dr. Area? Grant's not the orthopedic guy, but all these but other people. Oh, the other one. How, how oh, they oh, transfer? Oh, so, right. so, anyways, the bottom line is yeah. this: is that you'll hear Kate's story. It's an amazing story right. about where she worked, how she got into this. Got it. She's an amazing leader. Dr. Grant is also an amazing guy. Been involved in a lot of organizations, 
built big organizations. Yes, he did. And he's also involved in the Holocaust Museum. So uh, great stuff that we'll be doing more on. Uh, it's 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 amazing uh, place there in, in Farmington Hills. And we'll be talking to them in probably about five minutes. It's going fast. But anyways, you know, well, Peter, the hour went fast. Well, Is there talk, anything you'd like to fill yeah, in? Yeah, I, I do. I want to talk about real quick what's happening around Detroit right now for this weekend. You know, we have all things Detroit um, today, November 4th. And um, from 10 to 4, the Eastern Market, you know, come down there. Small businesses are going to be there. They're going to show their wares and everything. Usually it draws about 12,000 people in just the one day today. So once you go there, the world's largest food truck rally in Detroit is taking place in Belle Isle. So I think that'll be a great time. They promised no rain today. So get out there. I think that's going to be some uh, great food for you to see. And We've done food trucks. I mean, we like to be at the food truck. So if you really enjoy it, you know, you're going to see like a dozen-plus trucks out there in Belle Isle. You're nodding your head. You been there, Tony? I actually have not, but I am going on Sunday. Okay. I'm going on a little adventure. All right. <laughs> Did so. he invite you? No. Uh, Tony. S- Sunday's Tony. I, I didn't. No, he did not. But, you know, just the whole idea. Would you like to come with us, Peter? I would love to come with you. <laughs> you know, it would be great if you're driving. What, am I chop liver? Hey, <laughs> you can come too, Oh, wait a second. No, no, no. You no, didn't no, invite no. me. Forget it. All right. It. So while everybody's it, getting it. the breakfast food and get everything getting together, um, we're going to get everybody in the studio in just a few more minutes. So sit back and enjoy. You're listening to New Radio Media Talking Biz. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. A gelling agent used in making jams and jelly may have anti-cancer properties. Now, anyone who's ever made jams or jellies is familiar with the ingredient known as pectin, which is a natural fiber product found in most fruits and vegetables. A group from the Institute of Food Research in the United Kingdom found that under the right conditions, pectin releases a molecular fragment that binds with a protein that inhibits cancer growth. And the thing that may make jam and jelly more effective is slowing the growth of cancer than raw pectin is the process used to modify it for use in jams and jellies. You see, it turns out that the modification helps to emphasize the release of the cancer-fighting fragment, which is known as Galactin-3. The most commercially available pectin comes from the peel or citrus fruits and apple pulp that is processed before its sale. So for now, no one knows if pectin found in unprocessed fruits and vegetables has the same cancer-fighting qualities. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, PodQuesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sleeping adventure where we try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com Fridays, PodQuesters. 
See you there. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years, and through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service, and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Walled Lake. Well, we're back here at Talking Biz on NewRadioMedia.com. The yes, 9 o'clock hour, we've got some special guests in the studio. I want to welcome Kate Cohn-Parrott and Dr. Stephen Grant. Good morning, folks. How you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good. Dr. Grant, how you doing? Good morning. Doing fine. Well, welcome. Thanks for waking up on this Saturday morning and driving over to the studios. We want to ask you a few questions. We know, you know, we talked about the Greater Detroit Area Health Council earlier, but I want to interview you guys on a few questions. So, Kate, I want to start with you a little bit sure. here. So, we met you several months ago. And you're an amazing person. Let's start with your background in business. So let's go back. Uh, how many years do you want to go back and start? Nineteen forty-four when they found it. Uh, let's, no, let's talk about her business stuff, okay? No, no, that's so a, that's a loaded it. question. Yeah, yeah. You want me to reveal how old I am? No, right? I don't. I don't. I don't. Listen, you know what? You're forty-eight. We go back. Okay, so we're not. We, we, you know, like, we, we like, like that. that. So let's go back. You know, I know you have automotive experience. You got this. You worked with some major companies. You know, I met you. God, how many months ago did we meet? Six, seven. Yeah, months, it was yeah. really interesting because you came in here, and and I I love to find out about people, and I'm a business person, I'm a networker, and and you were with some major corporations with Chrysler and all these other companies. You're you're a numbers person, right? I am actually. I'm a certified management accountant. That's my background. So I'm I'm like a bean counter, if you will. I love to get into all that gory detail. Well, you are, and you've saved a lot of companies money, and and you get there and you dig down because the stories I heard and I've read about you are really, really amazing. So let's go back. Is is you from Detroit area originally? Yes, born in Detroit. Okay, so born in Detroit. Raised in Detroit I, area. What was your first job? Oh, my gosh. My first job was a babysitter yeah. when I was 14, and then I worked in did, a, Wait, did you declare that money? Probably not. Okay, well, it's past the time. <laughs> we, it's okay. Standard no, of limitations not. is over. <laughs> you know, I didn't get paid that well for it anyway. Okay. So was, let's it, just, was it 50 cents an hour back then? Yeah, probably. Okay. It was probably. So, so then I, um, my best friend in high school, her grandmother owned a businessman's luncheon bar out by the airport. And so I started working there in high school on Friday nights um, doing uh, setups in the restaurant. And then um, when I turned 18, because drinking age was 18, so I'm remember my age days. a little I bit. Here, I so, remember that. Okay. Um, but when I turned 18, I was able to start waiting tables because then I could serve alcohol. And um, I started waiting tables in high school and paid my way through college by doing that. So where did you go to college? Um, I went to Henry Ford for my first two years. And then I went to Eastern Michigan University to get my bachelor's degree in accounting. So you got out of college, and what was your first job? Oh, my. So my first job out of college, actually I worked at this job while I was in college, was at a um, small tool and die shop out by the airport. And I was the uh, bookkeeper there and then the accountant. How long were you there for? Oh, uh, I was there for several years, probably six, seven years. And then from there, where do we go? So from there, it's easier really having me dig down I'm deep I'm digging here. deep, but you're giving me the answer, so we know your memory's good. Okay. Yeah, so then I was working at a computer um, leasing company mm -hmm. um, where they um, did the purchase, sale, and lease back of used 
um, mainframe systems, IBM systems. So I really was getting into a lot of uh, deep financing then, to, you know, working on the deals with banks. And it was interesting because we would we would invest money over the weekend. So we had wow. money in the bank account, so you'd invest it for the weekend. So it wasn't just sitting idle, and then you'd take it back out on Monday. And it was an interesting uh, interesting job. Did you get a percentage of what you made? Yeah, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I really wish is I got a percentage of the uh, savings we had when I was in the auto industry. Yeah. Because we saved a lot of money Oh, those there. were big numbers. So let's move up to the automotive industry. Yeah. When did you start working for in the automotive with the big companies? Oh, I started working at Chrysler in 1986. Okay. And what did you do there? Actually, it was 1984. So, yeah. um, I actually so I was in accounting because that's what I told you I am. I'm an yeah, accountant yeah. by nature. Yeah. I really worked in finance. I worked in um, doing some investments. Um, they were trying to get me to do some stuff in IT because I'd actually pursued a degree at Eastern in management information systems, but I really wanted to work in finance, so that's what I did. And eventually, I worked my way up till I was responsible for the cost of our vehicles doing all the accounted, fully accounted profits and margin reporting. And um, after that, I got pulled out and put into the health care. Yeah, that's that the part the I want to see. biggest so, cost problem we so were facing. So what did you save them at Chrysler? I mean, you, you looked at that. How much money do you think you saved them? Oh, we hundreds of millions of dollars. Really? Hundred, no question. And you didn't get 10%? No, you <laughs> get any percent. <laughs> So, so that got you into the healthcare business to right. really understand the cost of healthcare. And what I'm leading up to this is is where we're going with the you know with the health council and all that stuff. So, so let me tell you the story about yeah. me getting into healthcare. All right, talk so, to us. Yes. So it's a couple days, about a week before Christmas. It's mm-hmm. 2003, and I'm at this um, Big Rock in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. We know it well. With my staff, and we're celebrating the holiday. And I received a call. I get this call from a gentleman named Tom Lasorda, you may have heard of. A little bit. Yeah, he so, called you directly. Yeah, uh, yeah. no, right. Oh, excuse me. I'm not, sorry. Not I, Tom I'm Lasorda, the baseball I know who you're guy. talking about, <laughs> Tom Lasorda. <laughs> that would be Tommy. That would be Tommy. I, 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 <laughs> Tommy right? I, I know the one you're talking about, believe okay, me. Okay, so no, I'm talking about Tom Lasorda, <laughs> wow, who's the amazing. chief operating yeah. officer of Chrysler. <laughs> yeah. And he said, um, Kate, I have a new job for you. I said, oh, okay, he said, I'm going to put you in charge of health care. And I said, you're going to what? <laughs> well, I'm going to put you in charge of health care. And I said, I thought you liked me. <laughs> no, I, and he said, well, I, he said, you don't understand. It's the biggest cost problem we have as a company, and you're the cost expert, and I need you to come over here and figure out how to fix this. So that's how I ended up in health care. And Amazing. at which point I said something like, I only know how to give the doctor my insurance card. That's all I know about health care. He said, yeah, that's why we need you, because you're going to dig in and try to figure out what the problems are. That's amazing. So the top guy calls you up and says, hey, I want you to come work for me in this department. It's an honor. Right. Well, I didn't feel like it at the time. but You know, what I like about you is you're very humble, you know, to talk about that. So you started digging into the healthcare, and you learned a lot, right? Oh, my gosh. I learned so much. So I get in there, and it's like, okay, my job is to control the cost of healthcare. Well, I think I need to figure out what's driving the cost. You can't fix something if you don't understand it. And so we started digging into that and really realized that a lot of it had to do with the lifestyles that our our employees lived. Yeah, yeah. Um, we needed to invest more heavily into wellness and prevention. We weren't doing that. And most companies still aren't doing that today, which is, is a huge problem. 
Um, so we started looking at that, and then that we there were things outside the four walls of the company too, like the healthcare delivery system, and how we how we pay for services. So we said, well, we have to be able to be involved in that conversation too. And so we we broadened our horizons, and over you know five years that I was in that job, we saved over four hundred million dollars. My team and I. That's a lot of money. Did the carriers at any time participate in a positive way? I mean, because we're taking away cash flow to a carrier. Yeah. So what is their reaction when somebody comes in like that? So when you're talking carriers, you mean the insurers? The insurers. Yeah, so so we were self-insured, and they, they it didn't really necessarily matter to them to some extent because we paid a fee per contract per month, and that didn't change. Um, you know, so it was some cash flow, but um, mostly some of the ways that we achieved the savings, one of them was we resourced our prime um, pharmacy benefit manager, which, um, you know, is a kind of an insurer of right. sorts. Well, we resourced that and we saved $48 million by doing that over the course of a couple of years. Um, then we went, we did these, we call them drug, drug tools or RX tools. And we actually worked with our partners at the UAW, with the University of Minnesota, and they would do comparative effectiveness surveys for us on our drugs that we were, um, you know, that our, our employees were taking. And so we were able to actually insert lower cost drugs by doing that. Did you, did you as you do this research, do you share that with other people or? or? You know, it was a company. It was Chrysler. You're smiling. No, you did it for Chrysler. No, yeah. we were happy to share that. Yeah, happy to share that. We participated in a lot of um, various community forums. Actually, GDAC was one of them. That's how I got involved with GDAC, the Greater Detroit Area Health Council. We were members. Our counterparts at the other autos were members. There were another of of other employers. So we did share that information. We were happy to share that. So talking about GDAC, Greater Detroit Area Health Council, I want to talk to Dr. Grant now because we don't want to ignore him over there. So, Doc, good morning. How you doing? Good. good. (laughs) See, that was painless. We got you through. We got you to the the council. So, Doc, you know, let's talk about your history. You've got a a vast history with organizations, building organizations. So you're originally from Detroit. Yes. And uh, give us your little history of how you got to where you are today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a little different than Kate's. I mean, when I was growing up, my father owned a scrapyard. So I worked in the scrapyard through high school and through college. And and, uh, he always said to me, um, if you want to come in this business, I'm going to burn the place down, so you better do something else. And, um, it's hard to burn steel, though. Yeah, yeah and, and, it's tough. Right. Yeah. Well, I know how to drive a Hilo and a okay. dump truck and all that stuff. But anyway, uh, my mother probably wanted me to be a doctor, so that's kind of what I always looked to do. Where did you go to med school at? Michigan. Okay, so you you them and you got there and you came out, and with what kind of medicine did you practice? Internal medicine. Okay, so internal medicine. And then you were involved in, in organizations and in, in, in phys, you know physician organizations. Uh, tell us about that. So in 1992, 1993, um, there was a Dr. Ralph Margulis who was one of the people who you know pretty much put Beaumont on the map. And at the time, and my my graduating class from University of Michigan, we we put more residents at Beaumont than than any other school, other, than any other hospital other than the uh, the U in Ann Arbor. And so we we kind of helped put Beaumont on the map. Wow. And so he came to me. I'd been in practice for a little over ten years, and he was building a physician organization after Beaumont had fired him. 
And uh, I got involved. I said, he said, I want you to be president. Uh, um, he said, I said, I don't want to do that. I don't have the time. He said, do it. I, I said, okay, I'll be your front man. You run the business. And so to make a long story short, Royal Oak and Troy had been fighting at the time. The doctors didn't get along. And and we formed the organization. It was Bo uh, Beaumont Physicians Group Royal Oak, and eventually in 2000 we formed United Physicians, brought all the physicians together, and essentially became the largest independent physician organization in the state. Wow. How many docs were there? Uh, at the time, probably about 1,800. A lot of doctors. <coughs> Big organization. Yeah. <clears throat> and so managing care and trying to reduce costs, improve quality, working with uh, a lot of the Big Blue Cross programs and HAP and all the, all the insurers. and trying to get the physicians to do the things that, you know, everybody thought they should be doing. And we, we did save money, not the millions that they did at Chrysler. <clears throat> but I will say that Kate and I met at the GDAC board table when we were both board members. And when I was at, you know, at the time at UP, trying to work and do some stuff that was innovative. And GM wouldn't listen to us, and Ford wouldn't listen to us. Nobody listened. The only person who was interested was Kate. And, you know, we, we were, were very close to coming together to try to uh, make some changes to reduce costs with, initially we were going to start with the people at, at Auburn Hills, and then, uh, you know, things kind of hit the skids, and, um, mm -hmm. and I remember a meeting where she was supposed to be there, but she was pulled upstairs, and they were talking to the Japanese, and the, so that was the end of that. But she was the only one who was willing to talk to us. Really? That was cool. <coughs> well, you had an open mind, and you saw that. So let's talk about, you know, Greater Detroit Area Health Council. And Kate, I want to ask you this. Give us, uh, let's give us a high-level look at this. What is the council? Can you explain what the council does? Sure. We are a, what we call a non, well, we're a nonprofit. We call a regional health improvement collaborative. And what that means is that we work with all of the parties involved in the healthcare sector. So we're the neutral table, we're the convener. We bring together, we say, the people who get care, give care, and pay for care. <coughs> so it's patients, it's providers, it's payers, it's purchasers, all those P words. Um, we come together at a common table and we really focus on what do we need to do across the community to improve health and so that we have healthier people and better health outcomes across the board. Very, very nice. So, uh, mm -hmm. Doc, uh, what's your involvement with with the group right now? What is it? My involvement is I'm chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. How many people on the board? How many people on the board now? Um, well, I don't know. if you're looking so. at, we have two. We have a board and we have an executive committee. Okay. So the board is about 50 people. Okay. The executive committee is wow. 14. Yeah. So give us some of your initiatives, you know, and if people want to know, okay, we explain what the organization is, but um, who do you reach and who do you really serve? I mean, sure. you said that, but what are some of the initiatives? So we have um, several initiatives. Um, one of the things that we attempt to do is to focus on medical conditions or health conditions, clinical care that is um, high, that there's... Um, I would say high prevalence and high cost. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of people who experience that medical condition and the cost to care mm -hmm. from them is high. So diabetes, for example. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of work around diabetes. We um, have been very successful over the last four years. We were um, running a program called um, um, Partners in Health and uh, Macomb Partners in Care. And we were working in Macomb County. Well, you get the name Macomb there, right? Um, but we were working closely with the Macomb Health Department, 
Macomb County Health Department, um, Bill Riddell and his team. We were working with the hospitals in Macomb County, one of them being Henry Ford. We were working with the federally qualified health centers. Uh, Advantage Health is one of them, and MyCare is another one. And so we were bringing all these players together in addition to some employers and some a lot of patients. And we went out, we were educating people at risk for diabetes on how to prevent developing that medical condition. So, you know, uh, nutrition, weight loss. Yeah, so uh, that's all part of it. There's a uh, program under the um, Centers for Disease Control, which is federal government program, but it's called Diabetes Prevention Program, and it's all evidence-based, and we use that. And so it's um, proven and it's, it's used across the country very consistently to help people to prevent them become diabetic. And so we, um, we did that and we worked on that program for several years, four years. And we were actually working with the state of Michigan and with funding from the Centers for Disease Control. So that was a successful program. And what we've done now is we're leveraging our success with that. We've taken the program into the Mount Clemens schools so we're working in the Mount Clemens High School right now. We will go and work in the uh, middle school as well um, with the school district, again, with the county and with our other partners. And we're identifying, you know, individuals who, students who might have a risk for diabetes in the future and teaching them now how to deal with that. So you go into the schools and you measure, it's measurable, so you really go and you figure out how many people you've saved or helped or how do you do that? Right. We would identify the number of people that we were able to help. So we, um, we're doing a lot of work with diabetes, so this is not just one of them. We're also doing something with all the hospitals who work in the city of Detroit. And there, again, we're looking at how many people can we prevent from becoming diabetic by educating them and monitoring their risk factors before and after the program. So is this income-driven? You look at it, is it mostly people that can't afford medicine? I mean, what was your target client or your your prospect for the organization? So, so that's a good question. And it's not mostly people who can't afford it, although we do deal with um, populations or zip codes in the city of Detroit, for example, where it's harder for people to be able to afford care or get to care. Um, we do try to focus in those areas to some extent, but we also deal with employers. And so that's a whole different situation. And we're going to, you know, Paul, this is great information that we're sharing here at New Radio Media. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back in two minutes and allow you to breathe a little bit. <laughs> Yep, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geek Geektainment Weekly at New Radio Media. It's worth the time. I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, Morty, I got the sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. 
Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our Nine and Dine special. Nine holes of golf and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. And welcome back mm-hmm. to New Radio Media <coughs> Talking Biz in the studio today, Dr. Stephen Grant. And, of course, you've been sharing a little bit also with uh, Kate Cohn-Parrott. You know, mm-hmm. this is an exciting time when we talk about the Greater Detroit Area Health Council. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. Kate's been sharing with us a little bit of the transformation of going from automotive to automotive health care and then going into, like, a private sector and into the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Dr. Stephen Grant, um, you know, you, you grew up in the steel business. You were told to get out of the yard and get to med school by mom. So when you got done with med school and you did all those wonderful mm-hmm. things, you went into a private practice or did you go right into a hospital setting? Private practice. And why? At the time, that's what you did. There weren't uh, a lot of people employed by hospitals. Uh, that really became com- more common in the mid to late 90s. And hospitals started hiring physicians, employed them. And uh, that lasted for a few years until they found out they were losing money and a lot of those people were let go. Uh, It's happening again in the last few years where now, if you look at it, I think probably the majority of doctors coming out and a lot of people who have been in practice are now employed by hospitals. And a lot of us who have been, you know, leaders in healthcare, private physicians who run physician organizations believe that that's not going to be sustainable. Um, Hospitals, a lot of them are still losing money on this book of business, so we'll see how that turns out. So leaving, you know, I mean, you're you're, you're a practicing physician, and you also enter the nonprofit world um, in going to the uh, GDAHC, and, you know, you take a look at the number of hospitals, physicians, um, supporting units that all are part of this. The role today in healthcare is changing dramatically, and kind of it, some of it may be dictated by Washington, but the consumer also dictates it. What are you finding as a nonprofit today where the consumer is really saying, We want this? How do you approach the consumer at this point in time that looks like they're lost in the sea? You know, that's, that's, for the consumers, it's very hard. I mean, we talk about transparency, we talk about trace. <laughs> price transparency, you have ratings for physicians, you can go online and, you know, there's a lot of noise there and, you know, what's what's good and what's not. <clears throat> but if you look at, a lot, a lot of people have studied this, and if you look at medical literacy, how well people understand what's going on, the quality scores, how good their doctor is, how much it costs, they can't read their you know, their bills from the hospital. And medical literacy is felt to be extremely low. 85 to 90% of people don't understand what's going on. So even though we want to get there and have people understand, that is a very big uphill battle. And, and uh, 
where that's going to end up is anybody's guess. So the consumers, you know, you want them to, you want to give them all the information, but they're looking for somebody to just tell them what to do, uh, by and large. And and as a f- practicing physician, I still practice <coughs> internal medicine. I mean, in you know, overwhelmingly, if you tell somebody to do this or that, they're going to do it. So, so a lot of it depends on the physician. And you know, when you talk, when I was at UP or downtown at the DMC to try to get the physicians to you know not overutilize, do the right thing, and that's a lot some of what we're doing at GDAC. Um, you know, GDAC's a little bit different focus, as Kate alluded to, uh, because we're looking at the consumers and, and trying to. You know, we, we are the only organization in the state that has a, a uh, um, public website that rates physician organizations. So people can go there and, and look at that. Uh, whether they do, you know, not much. Uh, whether they understand it, probably not much. But And, and there are other play, uh, um, organizations around the country, which Kate will probably, she can talk more eloquently about that than I can, that are trying to do the same thing. But, again... It's very difficult to get the consumer to understand. But you're in that unique <coughs> role as an internal medicine doctor. You're the diagnostic specialist, you know, and then you hand it off to the specialist. Right. So you're the first contact to a patient. Right. So if your type of role, the family <coughs> physician role, that's where the basic learning concept begins. Right. Do, do the patients really understand that, though? They understand it if you explain it to them in a way that they can understand. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to sit there and discuss it and, and put it in, in plain language. Uh, you don't want to use a lot of medical terms. Uh, you want them, you know, you have to be empathetic. Uh, um, and I say to people all the time, new patients, you know, I said, you, you, you don't know me well, but you have to, you know, you hopefully you'll learn to trust me. And if they trust you and then you can get them to you know, understand things they need to do. Uh, hopefully you're not ordering tests that aren't necessary. Hopefully, uh, you know, part of the healthcare crisis, I mean, obviously we're spending too much money. Um, and all the experts agree that probably 25 to as much as 30% of what we do in healthcare is either wasteful or duplication. And so, you know, if you can get rid of some of that, um, and a lot of that starts at the physician level, at the office level, as, you, as, as you're alluding to, uh, then a lot of this goes away, but it's it's a tough, tough, tough battle. Dr. Grant, let me ask you a question. When you tell a patient they need something, how many people ask, how much is that going to cost? Is that a fear of the patient? Almost never. They don't, but do they, Almost do they never. hold? Thank you very do, do much. Do some people hold off a procedure because of the fear of cost, or they just go do it and worry about the bill later? They go do it and worry about the bill later. Now, you know, with higher co-pays and deductibles, I mean, I'm sure there's some of that going on. But I can tell you, I mean, I can count on one hand in the last 25 years that somebody's, you know, asked me that. And, uh, um, but it, it is, there are a lot more out-of-pocket costs. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, when you tell them to do it, I mean, you, you can give them a, an option of where to go. And, right, right. and when I hand them uh, uh, the slip that I give them, there are, you know, there are hospitals and there are maybe some freestanding radiology um, um, offices that they can go to. Um, and one of the problems is the hospitals are always going to say they're the best and they're the best quality, is, and, and we don't have time to go into some stories that when I was Marketing. at UP how that worked out. Uh, but um, so the, the patients are confused, and, you know, a lot of times the patients think if it's more expensive, it's better. Yeah. That's not always the case. Um, 
Uh, so, so, but rarely do they ever say, how much is it going to cost me? Now, there are a few that will say, no, I don't want to do it. Um, and, you know, and sometimes that, especially in people who are older, I see a lot of people in their 80s and 90s, and the question is, you know, if you're 95, do you really need it anyway? Right, right. Yeah. And, and so, my quality of life is not going to change. Right, my quality of life, and are we really going really to, you know, prolong your life? In those situations, maybe. Um, but, you know, a lot, of, but a lot of people say they may think about cost, but if they have a problem, you know, we've set up a system here in this country where people want to have things done yesterday. They don't want to wait. Right. You know, they it's don't want to wait. They don't want to wait six. If you say you have to wait for your MRI <coughs> two weeks, that's a non-starter. Uh, so they want to get it done if they have a problem, and they're not worried about the cost. Now, after they write the check, they may not like it, but uh, but up front, yeah, very payment rarely. plans are always available. <coughs> so that's good, Kate. I want to go back to you. You know, you've got a great organization, but really, how do people find about how find out about you? I mean. You know, you're offering these services, and, and mm-hmm. you know, budgets are cut, and, you know, sure. we're dealing with less money for marketing and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, how do people find out about you? You've got this wealth of information online about doctors and services. So how do people find you? That's a great question. So we um, we use social media mm-hmm. to communicate what we're doing. Obviously, things have changed a lot in the last several years through social media. We rely quite a bit on our partners. Okay. on our members. So we're a membership organization and um, companies or, or organizations pay us dues to be part of us and then we rely on them to communicate to their patients, doctors to their patients, or um, you know, if it's an employer that they would provide some of our information to their um, employees and their families. One example, and we've been talking about affordability, we've been talking about how to communicate with patients. I actually prefer the term patients to consumers. And the reason for that is I think unless you have really good data to compare and make decisions, it's difficult to be a consumer. So I like the word patient. But um, So what we have done is worked with this campaign, a national campaign called Choosing Wisely. And Choosing Wisely was actually created by the American Board of Internal Medicine back in 2012. And the whole idea was, you know, to step back and say, you know, we're internists. We don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And so they came up with a list of 10 procedures, treatments, protocols, whatever the right term is for that, that um, they said, you know, we typically do this as internists, and they're probably not a lot of value. As uh, Dr. Grant talked about, the um, duplication of services, or and duplication is really one that happens a lot. Um, but so, so they stepped back and said, let's, as, as internal medicine, make an effort not to do these unless they're really, really warranted. So through that campaign, we got involved, GDEC got involved, and a number of other organizations across the country to start educating patients. Here are the five questions you should ask your doctor. And one of, the, um, one of our partners is the UAW Retiree Medical Benefit Trust. And so they have about, at the time, maybe 800,000 um, members, 800,000 people across the country who they provide services to and um, health benefits to. And so we worked with them and they developed a brochure that they sent out to all 800,000 people. They said, here are the five questions you should ask the doctor. Here are the five questions you should always keep in the back of your mind. You know, we're, we're, um, 
and we step back to, I say, the whole Choosing Wisely campaign was don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And GDAC came back and said to them, this is the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, we said, um, let's say some positive things. Instead of telling people don't do this, don't do this, let's say do this, do this, do this, because then people don't feel like you're just trying to take something away from them. We're trying to encourage them to be better in making their decisions. So that's one way that we communicate with people. Okay, so you have you said you affiliated organizations. Like some of those organizations are what? Who are the organizations you're affiliated with? Yeah, so we belong to a national organization called the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement, and it has members. It's a membership organization. There are probably 34, 35 GDAC-like organizations across the country who belong to. Enri, we call it Enri. And we're going to talk about Enri just a little bit further, but um, if you could just sit back and for just a few minutes, look at the notes, and we'll be right back at Talking Biz New Radio Media. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999 for more information. I'm Jackie Callis, Dr. Mark Berkowitz. We all accumulate so many products. They probably dry it yeah. out if I open the jars. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. And I don't eat the yolks. That's the, not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! <laughs> Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Well, welcome back to Talking Biz on a Saturday morning at NewRadioMedia.com. We're sitting in the studios with Dr. Stephen Grant and Kate Cohen-Parrot. Hey, Kate, it's an amazing organization you're with. And, you know, we talked a little bit during the break, and we want to say, hey, what should we talk about the next segment? And there was so much that we want to get out. And, well, and we talked about what's You missed cool the about, most important part of what? it. Do you have a family? I do have a family. See, we've never even yeah. asked. How's your family life? Yeah, my family is great. My family life is awesome. There you go. Yeah. And uh, how do the kids feel about you doing all these things that you're doing? So so my um, older daughter, she's happy with whatever we do. 
Um, she actually lives with my husband and I, and my husband and her are in North Carolina right now. Oh. His, um, our nephew, his uh, sister's son, is actually getting his Eagle Scout award today. Oh. There's an eagle in the other room right yeah. there. My so, son is okay, right behind the class. Okay, he's so an that's, eagle in the you know, other room. I already go. did my homework, so my, I already right, know this. My, my secret <laughs> agent there. Yeah. You know, he even knows what kind of car you're driving him. Peter, thank you very much. So let's go to this. You know, we talked at break, and we talked at break about what we should talk about. And, you know, we talk about affordability, but we talk about opiates and, and, and all that yeah. stuff. And it hit hope close to me, okay? A family member of mine was addicted to painkillers, and it became a very big crisis. And as the laws changed, uh, we had to weed this person off this medication. And it was very, very scary that this was going on and, and what's happening. So let's talk about the opiate crisis and where we are, and, and what are you guys doing for that? So, so yeah, the opioid crisis, I mean, it's no surprise. We all know how big it is, and um, I'm sure every one of us could come forward with stories, and Dr. Grant can talk a little more from the uh, medical side. But we formed a team about three-plus three years ago called the Southeast Michigan Alliance for Addiction-Free Communities. And so what we've been doing there, and we're a convener, so we don't necessarily provide care, but we're bringing everybody together who in Southeast Michigan, and not everybody, but as many as we can. So we have the hospitals, we have the insurance plans. We importantly have the, like the Detroit Wayne Mental Health Authority, and then we have a lot of the social service organizations who are actually in the trenches helping people with opiate issues. And we bring everybody together to focus on education, on policy and process. And so what, one of the things we're doing is developing a tool, a repository that is where, where do I go for care? What is everybody in Southeast Michigan doing? So if someone wanted to evolve their program, they could say, oh, you know what? Three other organizations are already doing that. No duplication. Right. So, so that's one of the things we're doing. So about a month ago already, Dr. Grant, we had the Deputy Secretary of the Health and Human Services, Eric Hargan, he came to Detroit and he visited with us. He had us convene a meeting where we had politicians, we had um, judges, we had police, you know, um, law, enforcement. Um, law enforcement, we had employers, we had some of the small organizations, we had health plan, we had hospitals, and we all came together to talk about what we're doing. And one of the things that they, being the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services was really impressed with what we're doing here in Detroit and in the area is because we're doing a lot of peer-to-peer -peer work. So we're working with an organization called GrowthWorks and they work with St. Mary Mercy Livonia and they are actually in order to work there, in order to help people, you have had to be an addict at yourself at one point in time, recovered, and now you're a peer-to-peer -peer and you're helping coach and counsel people who are addicted today. So we pull all those people together to have that conversation across the community. We have hosted for three years now, and we'll be doing it again in, in the spring, an opioid and heroin addiction summit. Um, we started with about 400 people the first year. We had 500 the second year, and we had 600 people attending last year. And it's, it's all about getting that information out in the community and having that robust conversation. And then we've helped 
um, working actually with some funding from Delta Dental Foundation, um, we went forward and did some communication about drug take back days so that people knew, you know, this is a safe place to bring my drugs and turn them back in. Well, law enforcement, I know, has done that very tremendously. Yeah, now, you go to any law enforcement uh, uh, facility today, and uh, they have the bins right there to take a it. Absolutely. So, Doc, let me ask you a question. How did we get into this crisis? How did it start? How did people get into this? Was it the drug companies driving it? What's your thoughts on this? How did we get into this crisis? You know, everybody talks about the drug companies in the last few years. <clears throat> I mean, it's been going on for a long time. When I was a resident uh, at Beaumont <clears throat> in the late 70s, um, a lot of the, it was mostly heroin back then, <clears throat> starting into cocaine. Uh, but the heroin addicts started to come to Beaumont out in the suburbs from Herman Kiefer because they heard we were giving methadone. And so that was tough. I mean, it was very hard to handle those patients. And so, you know, we did some things differently and we kind of cut off the pipeline. It's, I guess it's a little different now, obviously, with, uh, with some of the powerful opioids and, you know, orally instead of, uh, uh, instead of IV heroin, although that is still a problem. Uh, so, you know, I think it's multifactorial. I mean, if you listen to the news, most people are getting it from the drug cabinets at home, and they're starting that way. I, I'll take it at face value. I'll accept it. You know, are there other reasons? I'm sure there are. You know, in most in most primary care offices, certainly in the, it depends on where you are. Whether your practice is in a big city or in the suburbs, you know, you're in in the suburbs out here. You're probably not seeing a lot of it. You you see some of it. It's not as big a problem. Although I think most doctors would probably prefer to limit how much how much they're giving people. And in my case, for example, most of the people I see are already coming in, and they're on you know they're getting Norco or you know hydrocodone. They're already getting 100 or 120 tablets a month because they've had back pain um, forever. And so you're not going to get those people off of that. Now so how do you? That's well, I just got that. That was I was dealing with Norco, and and we finally got it done with reduction. And I uh, this person switched doctors, and the old doctor was just hey you can call in the script I'll send you the script. And so it was just pushing pills. And so went to the new doctor, and the new doctor says, guess what? We're getting you off this. But and the FDA it, also just approved a drug that's 10 times to 20 times greater. That. Mm -hmm. So that is even a greater concern if that goes in the marketplace. Well, I just read about that this morning, right. as a matter of fact. Um, and they're trying to limit it to, you know, three days and, you know, who can give it and all that. But, I mean, you know, what you just said about getting people off it, the vast majority of people, you're, it's going to be very hard to get them off it if they've been on it for a long time. Whether or not it's working, they think it's working. And so, you know, you try to limit it. You try to make sure they're not that somebody isn't taking it. If they're asking for more frequent refills, you know, red flags go up, and then you're going to have to deal with that. But in, in, in most cases, you know, it's okay. I'm going to give you your medication. I want to see you regularly and make sure, you know, you're not selling it on the street or right. giving it to your kids. So It's sad. It's sad because you look at all ages. You know, it, it's, it's, it goes from youth to older people that, you know, psychologically I can't get off this, and, and I saw people, and then if they go cold turkey, there's a problem too. Saw that happen to this person, and you look at that, and, and it was a reaction. So it's, it's a crisis. So back to you, Kate. Let me ask you a question. So you're dealing with this. Do you see some improvement already on, on this opioid crisis, or where, do you, where are we standing right now? I think we have seen some improvement. Well, one of the things in Michigan is we have that MAP system where, um, you know, providers and doctors have to actually record um, 
who they're prescribing and what right. the number is. So I think that's put some type of controls over that. But I, I think we've seen some improvement. Um, I'm not, I, unfortunately, I don't have a statistics with me, but we do have those back at the office. Um, you know, let me. Another thing that we're seeing, which I think is pretty impressive, are organizations that are really moving to what we would call complementary and alternative medicine, or CAM, in order to treat the um, people with pain. One example is actually the VA here in Detroit. Um, Dr. Patarsi, who is in charge of pain there, he actually uses acupuncture to do, to address pain. Um, and so if you come into the VA and you're in pain, they're going to give you acupuncture before they give you drugs. So they're using alternative medicines. Absolutely. Okay, so they're yeah. getting it. Do you see more of that happening? We see that happening more and more, but I would say the VA in Detroit is really a leader in that space. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm sort of shocked. Yeah, I know. It's you surprising, know, I'm sort of shocked it? that acupuncture and VA never yeah. hit my mind. Well, you'd never think that. No. Dr. Patarsi is very innovative. Actually, so several of the members who are on our CMAC team, which again is Southeast Michigan Alliance for free communities have gone and visited him and actually had the acupuncture done on our ears it's it's not the kind that you put the needles he actually does right. like a little piercing on your ear and so you walk away and they stay in for maybe four or five days till they fall out little pins it's it's amazing once yeah. again it's it's people not knowing exactly you know you, you you sit here and i'm sure as a non-profit you beat your heads all the time we got the greatest info how do we get it to people right, right. and you get you look at that and it's very frustrating because you do so much so, you know, we're talking about the crisis. Is there anything more you want to fill in the crisis that would take us somewhere else? You know, I was just going to give you a little personal okay. story on this. So my okay. brother, my, my brother needs, um, has prostate cancer. And so they wanted to do some treatment. He goes to the VA and he said, well, I don't want him to do that because they don't give you any pain medicine there. <laughs> and I said, oh, they give you acupuncture. He goes, what? I said, yeah, we'll set you up with Dr. Patarsi. He goes, yeah, at the, at the VA, they really don't want to give you pain meds. Well, that's because they have been successful with this, with this acupuncture. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, acupuncture instead of <clears throat> pills, and obviously, at long run, it's cheaper. Yep. And, and it's oh, like definitely. four dollars for the whole treatment, or something, and, you know. And there are some other meta, uh, other choices. I mean, some people are finding that a combination of ibuprofen, Motrin, and Tylenol together may be almost as effective as, as some narcotics. So why are we educating, Doc? You know, you're right, I'm getting frustrated here because, you know, here's we're, we're talking and we've been talking for almost 45 minutes, and now we're talking about solutions that are comparable that can handle the same thing without addiction. <laughs> You know, acupuncture with the medications you're talking about. Is it just that people are requesting medication or know the drugs today or the doctors are just lazy or they're not educated or they've just done it for years and they don't want to do alternatives? What's the problem here? All of those. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just, it's All frustrating. Of those. Well, let me ask you, where yeah. do the de what we call a detailer, when a detailer comes in who's somebody from the pharmaceutical companies and is promoting the drug, what's called the XYZ drug, how much pressure does the detailer try to put on the physician? They they try to put they try to get you to use it. They try to educate you. I don't see uh, drug reps anymore because I just don't. And for a long time, um, I mean, there are certain physicians who are going to you know give in and and do that, and they don't get the perks they used to. So that's a good thing. But uh, they may use it. But um, I'm not sure how much detailing uh, affects it. It may to a certain extent. But I think it's like you said. People ask for it. People want it. 
uh, after surgery. That's just been the way it's been. They, they you know, they've don't been giving. Don't look at me. Yeah, right. I no, don't no, take painkillers, no, so yeah, you've got but, the wrong know, guy. But it's interesting. I've heard the facts is because the drug company is going direct to consumer advertising today. So many patients come and say, "I want that." Well, direct to consumer advertising advertising has been a problem for years. Yeah. This isn't anything new. And I mean, yeah. you know, you just have to turn on the TV with the diabetes drugs and all the other things that, that they're pushing. And and you know, the problem is with the drugs that they're pushing are extremely expensive. I'm not saying they're not good and they're not effective, but there may be some older drugs that are much more cost effective, much cheaper, uh, that you can control the same thing. So so direct to consumer advertising, if you read the medical literature, there's there are articles in there for years about about this. You know, this is going to lead into another segment. Sorry for keeping so long, because you talked about cost and insurance yeah. and all that stuff. And it's real important because you look at this and you look at people with overhead, we've had the insurance problems, the issues, the cost. And of course, is it the business of medicine and the private corporations that are hurting the medical field? And and we've got a break in about 30 seconds. I'm going to come back with this one because it's a hot topic. I see you smiling. Yeah. The doc ran into it. I'm frustrated. You look at this thing. And are companies holding back certain medications because they will hurt their more expensive medications? I'm hearing all kinds well, of well, things. You know, Paul, there, there's all yeah. that. And then we always say we can go across the border for much less. So... As we hear in our headphones that famous tune, which is our theme, you know, we want to for take a moment to thank both of you for uh, sharing with us here at New Radio Media. Well, they're We're, sticking around. But I know they are, okay. but I always have to say thank you first <laughs> as we take this commercial break. <laughs> Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. Simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah? I'm your host. Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson, and are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I, I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. All right, we're back here at Talking Biz on NewRadioMedia.com, talking with the folks from the Detroiter, uh, Detroit Area Health Council, Greater Detroit Area Health Council, Kate, we've gone through so much information, and it's it's overwhelming. And 
it's frustrating because you've got numbers and you've got stuff. So let's talk about cost. You were talking about cost in medicine. Let's talk a little bit. So, well, one of the things, um, you know, we, we track this in, in terms of cost. We know that the cost that the country is spending on health care, the amount, is actually at 17.4. This was 2013 numbers of our U.S. gross domestic product GDP. So 18% and projected to go up to about 22% in the next five years of everything that we spend as a country goes to health care. So we look at 17% of our income yep. goes to health care. And note, and note in income when you say that, Paul, that's after taxes. Well, and it's scary because, you know, like I said, I just got my Blue Cross bill for next year. And I look at the numbers and I look how it's gone up over the last five years. And I look at that, oh, thank God I'm healthy, but the fact is people that don't have money and people right. don't get that. Right. And it's so scary because, you know, you go in, and, and I do think of things, Doc. I do look at things and say, what is this? What? And I look because I'm a busy person. How long is it going to take for this procedure? And I just got told I need neck surgery, so I'm going to be partners with Peter in a in a oh. neck brace. So you look at that. But you tell me he's not even going to get one of these. I got extras, but he doesn't want them. Because he, he, he plays on Sam Bernstein commercials and all You're so funny. You know. So he, he has to, you, know, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the cost, you just said that's an alarming number. And if you look at where we are and people are getting squeezed, and I would talk about it on this business show about the economy going to be slowing down again because of interest rates going right. up and consumers are living paycheck to paycheck, more consumer debt your need for your service is going to go up and up and up. Absolutely. And, and it's scary because if you look at that number, Kate, uh, how does a person barely surviving go through this? It's, it's difficult. It, I mean, it, it, you know, we talk about the Affordable Care Act, but one thing we can say about that, and for those who don't know it by that term, it's Obamacare, yeah. um, it's not affordable. That's the thing that's scary about it. We call it Affordable Care Act, but health care is not affordable. You know, it's scary because I think the number is like 30-something million were insured before the act. Right. And if we would have looked at those people and dealt with that crisis without changing the system, that's just my opinion, yep. we would have been better off. And you look at this thing because of the, the government-insured programs are, are getting so pressured and the money on that right now. And because I'm involved more in medical stuff because of new radio media and getting mm -hmm. involved in the medical side – it's very frustrating. You know, I, I, it's, it's frustrating you throw that number out. And so what do we do? What do you help? What, how do we do this? What are we doing? So we talked about um, waste. So, so we're, we're part, I mentioned earlier, ENRI Network for Regional Health Improvement. We're working across the country on a program called um, Affordable Health Kit Together. And we're really looking, if you talk about affordability, it falls into three buckets. One of them is health. Because if we're healthier, if people are healthier, you spend less, you consume less resources in healthcare. So, you know, let's focus on wellness, let's focus on prevention instead of operating under the sick care that we have today, the sick care model. So, health is one of them, waste is another, and we've talked about that quite a bit already today the whole Choosing Wisely campaign and the duplication of services, and do we need, you know, to do this? And, you know, one of the challenges you have there is one man's um, revenue is another man's cost. And so, if I say I'm going to eliminate these services, I'm going to cut costs, well, that eliminates somebody else's revenue. So, we have to find a way to balance that while eliminating waste. Part of it, too, that happened, and this happened a number of years ago, we won't even get into the politics, is when we closed the mental health facilities right. that flooded the streets. 
and had nowhere to go. That was a huge problem. And then, and then it became a compounding issue from that point forward. And, and so one of the other things to that point that we've done is we have treated mental health separate from physical health. Uh, you know, and, and I'm guilty of that, too, because when I was at the automobile company, we carved out, which meant we treated separately all right. of our mental health from our physical health. Well, mental health and health policies gave you five or 10,000 of coverage if you were lucky. Right. And then it wasn't treated as any other illness. Right. And, and so, you know, we really need to treat people holistically. Oh, there you go. Hey, hey okay, right. thank you. I'm waiting for him to wake up. Logistics. Boy, he's right. been waiting for Have you been for over that. there yet? Where? Logistics. <laughs> oh, actually, no. 11-mile road. i got to get you over there. I'm, I, we got to have a little. You know, it's funny. I, 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 this company has brought me into so many networks, right? Yep. So, Logistics is doing some marketing with the show, and then, you know, putting people together. And then networking is going crazy. But if you look at non-traditional medicine, and you look at things today and how it can, can you know, marry with traditional medicine – that's the future, don't you believe that? Absolutely, absolutely. And so there's also this thing to that point. It's called social determinants of health, and we could have a whole, whole show on that. Oh, we will. Trust right, we'll, us. We'll, yeah. we let's will. park it up. We'll talk about. It. I mean, okay. there's so much. Yeah. What What's frustrating, and, and you know, what's what's gratifying for what we started here, and Peter and I put on this on along with Ian three years ago, and how we really can help communicate with people and target audiences. <laughs> it is so frustrating today that information is out there but how do people find it right and, right. and you know you've got statistics here if people could find this and lead it i always say education is number one if we treat people around the world about other religions and other groups and you would have less if you teach people about and i'm guilty i, I i'm learning more about that as i get older i know i have to take get better care of myself because i'm a workaholic so i've got to take some time off and say hey you got one body your body parts wear out and your mental yeah. health and all that stuff and mental health is a whole different thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I gotta—I hate to be the one that has to do this, but party poop. Yeah. Uh, in twenty seconds, uh, Dr. Grant, any final words? No, I mean, like you said, this is a complex issue. There's a lot. We could probably spend the next, you know, rest of the morning here yeah. talking about about this. Um, and to put it in perspective again, we went from two point five trillion to three point five trillion in medical costs. And if you can reduce that waste and duplication, a lot of that goes away. Now, whether the social determinants are big, but you know, you got the, all this, all these baby boomers coming on, and that's going to shift the costs up. So we have a lot of lot to work on. So we Kate? do, Paul. We have, a, and I'd love to hear Kate's final words, but unfortunately, everybody's pounding well, me. Thank so. you, too, for being on the show. I want to thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you. And being our guest. I hope we'll see more of you soon. Yeah, we hope to come back. There's so much to say. And there is. Anyways, you know, you've been listening to Talking Biz on Saturday morning. We'll be back here same time, same channel next Saturday. Have a great weekend, folks. Thank you. Thank you.